Cosmetics and beauty rituals can be traced back to biblical times. The Egyptians were known for their severe black-rimmed eyes and startling red lips. The 1700s French and English brought us the pale, gaunt faces with bright cheeks and lips worn by the aristocratic class. And in the young Americas, the harsh, white, painted face was replaced with a more powdery, natural look, but still keeping the appearance of smooth, pale skin with softer pink cheeks, where no one wanted to be accused of manual labor or having to spend too much time in the sun. But if these women and men would have known of the toxic properties they were putting directly on their skin, would it have changed the face of beauty? If they had known that the thick white paste they smeared on their face and shoulders was made with lead and that the rouge for their cheeks was laced with mercury, leading to many of the ailments of the aristocracy of that time, would they have seen the error of their ways and let go of their perception of beauty? I think not. Welcome, my name is Elizabeth Bougeret. And I'm that person when studying the many facets of history likes to peek behind the curtain, investigate hidden passages, drop into the rabbit hole, or dare to walk in the shadows, because we all know that's where the good stories can be found. Take a listen then to discover what dark or peculiar pieces of American history can be found in my bag of bones. With the Europeans making their home in the New America, fashions saw a change. While it's not until we look back at the practices of the day that we are able to piece together the cause for the day-to-day -day maladies, and even death, were in part due to their daily beauty regiments. Even today we take our cue of what is in style and what is not from celebrities and influencers. It was not so different in the days gone by. Long hair, short hair, heavy makeup, light makeup, full voluptuous figures, thin, frail, fragile frames. No matter what is considered in vogue, the masses will set aside our long-term health to fit in with the fashion of today. These days, we may roll our eyes and cringe at the beauty regiments of time gone by. We wouldn't dream of putting lead-based products on our skin these days, would we? But then, it was the style, and no one wanted to be considered out of style so they took the risk, as it was the only way to achieve that white, almost translucent skin that was very much in style. The practice of slathering your skin in thick, white, lead-based pastes and creams and then dusting with powder was not only the fashion, but necessity. It was the method of hiding the skin blemishes of the time caused by smallpox and other diseases, but they soon discovered that it could hide the signs of aging. Funny, no matter what century you're in, apparently no one wants to admit how old they really are. In the 1700s, women wanted to look so pale that they even used blue pencils to trace their veins. The rouge they used for their cheeks and sometimes lips was made from cinnabar, which contains mercury, or carmine, which is the color you get after boiling and crushing beetles. The effects of these products caused hair loss, abdominal pain, dry skin, birth defects, skin rashes, nerve damage, and eventually death. As the century went on, the heavy makeup went away, but the desire to have pale skin was still very popular. It was also considered a status, even in the later centuries, as those who didn't have to work outside in the fields. Women turned to products that would erase 
what they considered blemishes such as freckles, moles, sunspots, the popular fix-all product of the time, arsenic. Oh sure, we know the deadly damaging outcomes of using arsenic today, but if they knew back then, it was quietly swept under the rug or blatantly ignored as products of all kinds were released to the public proudly proclaiming the benefits of arsenic. These were the safe benefits, of course. Since the new trend was wearing less makeup, arsenic was able to brag about its properties being lightweight and the one product that would take away all of your skin woes. Advertisements proclaimed that arsenic wafers, lotions, tonics, creams, and soaps could assist with the removal of pimples, blackheads, and freckles. It would eliminate dark circles, liver spots, and wrinkles, and, quote, brightening and beautifying the face in a very short time, making the skin clear, soft, and velvety, end quote. Now, who wouldn't want that? And it worked. The advertisements, for once, spoke true. However, instead of hiding the blemishes, the harsh properties of the toxin destroyed red blood cells, leaving the skin smooth, pale, and paper thin. So, besides just death, who wouldn't be willing to tolerate a little baldness, abdominal pain, organ failure to get all of the beauty benefits from arsenic? And what's worse, just in case they had a glimmer of common sense and stopped using the product, every quote-unquote symptom that arsenic products were quote-unquote curing would come back almost overnight as if on steroids along with instant death. Herein lies the rub. By ingesting the poison in small doses on a regular basis, it helped them to create an immunity. But the moment they stopped, it was as if all of the past poison caught up to them. So, it would prompt the user to keep using. And it's not that the women didn't know, necessarily. If they couldn't afford the store-bought version of arsenic-laced products, they made them at home by distilling arsenic from flypaper and water and purchasing rat poison to add to their own lotions and powders. As the ideal of beauty shifted in the 1800s and painted faces were more associated with actors and, uh, women of ill repute, the trend for a more natural look started making its way across the nation. In the newly expanded America, women on the Western Front barely wore makeup at all, endangering their lives in a million other ways at the time, but that's for another episode. But the beauty trend was more natural. Pinching of the cheeks and biting the lips, bringing blood to the surface for a pinkish tone, and in the cities, makeup was used, but rarely mentioned and never acknowledged. Thus the popular fallacy, still practiced today, of, I just woke up this way. Hair color and cosmetics were available in stores, but were purchased on the down low and hidden in medicine containers and tins so no one would suspect that the lady of the house was using such vulgar tools of beauty. While the women were still nibbling on arsenic biscuits and washing their faces with bleach-based cleansers and smoothing in ammonia-based skin cream that didn't stop them from staining their eyelashes with soot mixed with oil, or for thicker lashes, the bold would use the residue of nitric oxide mixed with lard. And for that natural blush, you guessed it, Mercury is still a favorite, and we include copper as the popular new ingredient. How have we not killed off the female population with their beauty regiment thus far? I'm really not sure. But wait, 
We're just getting to the good stuff with the discovery of radium. We've all survived history class. My history education was all about cramming dates and names and battles into my teenage brain in order to pass the newest test to make the school look good. I didn't really enjoy history until I was able to revisit it and see that history was made up of people, just like me. They had struggles, they had joy, they had sadness, and they felt victories. It became so very real to me. And now, I'm on a mission to revisit as much history as I can. Hello, my name's Elizabeth Bougeret. I'm a full-time author and a full-time traveler, and I would love to share what I'm learning with you. Come with me. See my sights and stories as I go. I love history now. Real history. Not just the dates and battles. And I've discovered that others do too. So, I've created a group in Facebook, and I'd love for you to join me on my travels and adventures. Let me reintroduce you to a history that's made up of people, places, adventures. I'll even throw in a few battles for good measure. If you love American history with a side of travel, I'm sure you'll enjoy this group. Join me over there. Search the Facebook groups for History Revisited, I'm the one with the blue feather, or type in historyrevisited.info in the search bar and then join in on the adventure. And so I can be sure to welcome you properly, be sure to say hello. Crossing into the 1900s, America held on to the soft feminine fresh look or the sickly, frail corpse look for just a bit longer until the mold-breaking, fashion-setting flapper girl of the 1920s set beauty on its ear. Long hair was chopped off, dark, smoky eye makeup and dramatic lips were all the rage. The desire for a glowing complexion was in high demand, and thanks to Marie Curie and her discovery of radium, that was not too far out of reach. For a high price, luckily, you could purchase any number of beauty products containing radium, actual radium, including soaps, creams, and lotions promising to revitalize and energize the skin. Even toothpaste got into the radium game with advertisements stating that their toothpaste could, quote, increase the defenses of teeth and gums, or, quote, gently polishes the dental enamel so it turns white and shiny. Yeah, well, it also caused cancer. A widespread rash of cancer and radiation sickness ending in death. So, again, luckily, with this expensive creation process and path to, of death, this fad didn't last too long. In the new age of scientific advances and newfangled inventions, why not see if those could cross over to the beauty industry? How about using x-ray machines to remove unwanted hair? Sure it worked. Long-term exposure to the rays would make your hair fall out, but it also thickened your skin, burned or scarred, and changed the pigment. Electrolysis was actually introduced in 1875, but didn't become popular for hair removal, specifically unwanted eyelashes or the sculpting of the eyebrows, until much later. 
It was painful, time-consuming, and not always permanent, and, not to mention, in the hands of the unexperienced, damaging and scarring. And on that note, around this time, the pendulum swung far in both directions concerning eyebrows and eyelashes, from using mouse fur to create eyebrows to plucking them off completely and painting on new ones. The fashion trends for eyebrows changed from one decade to the next, and the search for thicker, fuller lashes is still a much sought-after commodity and easily acquired. But in the 1800s, women would glue hair to their eyelids, which is not unfamiliar to us these days, but it was far more dangerous. Some would coat their eyelashes with greasy pomades before bed, rising to swollen eyes that was to be expected, so they were told to rinse them with milk. And if that sounds extreme, there were those in the 1890s that would actually sew hair onto the eyelid. Don't worry, the skin was first numbed with cocaine, so not a problem. In 1902, Charles Nestler, later known as Carl Nestler, patented a new or improved method and means for the manufacture of artificial eyebrows, eyelashes, and the like. No one really knows what the artificial eyebrow method from the patent did, but interesting note, Nestler went on to create the first permanent wave machine in 1909. Beauty practices then, and even to some extent today, are not consistent in their regulations, and technically back then, not at all. So that in the years of the traveling salesmen, or the mercantile stores, even to the expansion of the cosmetic counters of the modern age, people don't really know what they are putting on their skin, or even ingesting for the sake of beauty for that matter. And while we may look back and shake our heads at the choices men and women made for vanity's sake, we only have to look at the continuing trends throughout time to see that things haven't changed very much. We may have changed up our choice of poisons, these days they are mostly man-made and have a lot more syllables, but they are still there. You may be surprised that lead and mercury can still be found in cosmetics today, and that our toxins of choice are more along the lines of asbestos, formaldehyde, baby foreskin, and paralyzing and nerve-blocking toxins for the sake of youth type. So, try not to judge our ancestors too harshly, as we will come under the same scrutiny by our next generation of investigators of creepy history. So now I ask you, what's in your cosmetic collection? Bag of Bones is researched and recorded by Elizabeth Bougeret, produced by the Ragtag Network and History Revisited, music by Johnny Reed, copyrights by Elizabeth Bougeret and DCT Enterprises. <laughs>